So let's dive into this. So the vision, right? So ask yourself this question. Do I have a vision? And then what I want you to do is repeat it to someone else. And, you know, I can tell you this, most people don't have a vision. So a vision is a, I want you to think of a vision as a long runway, okay? So for instance, in aviation, planes can only land at specified runways. That's why there's usually one large airport in a town where the big commercial jets go. And then throughout that town would be populated next airport, next, there's a lot of airports if you, and, and you could look that up if you wanna see it. And what you would find is that different size planes can land at different airports. And so when you think about vision, I want you to think about it like that runway. If you have a, if you say, well, I, my vision is to get from 1 million to 1.2 or, or 2 million to 2.2, that is a very short runway. And if you could do that in the next year, that's just a goal for next year. A vision has to be larger. And I'm not suggesting that you should go to a 5X vision because the truth is most of you, your brain wouldn't process that. So... If you want to go up $200,000, I can tell you what you need to do that. And you can do that without having a great vision. Okay. But I would tell you that I, I strongly encourage you to do this. Put your vision in writing and share it with the team. Okay. And if it excites them, maybe it's good. If it doesn't, it's probably not, not good. And you could test that a little bit. All right. So what we need to do now is I need you to open up some space. So for instance, uh, there are things that we will invite you to. If you open up the headspace and you say, Jay, I really, really wanna grow the practice, okay, good. Then, then I can put you in situations that help you learn how to grow the practice, okay? But what I'm, as we go through this, let's open up that head. So let's say now you say, okay, I'm open, I'm open, all right, so what do we do? So I'm gonna walk you through the framework. And I'm going to be very brief in these because we've started to talk about them and then we'll come back in future episodes and we'll sort of attack different ones. So to give you the framework, so after all these years, I've broken it down to one, lack of vision. So you got that one. Now underneath that, I've broken it down to the, I call it the big five. And, you know, originally it was the big three and then when I started taking people five times larger, I discovered we had to take it to five. And so I'm gonna give you the good version, okay? So there was a, there is a version, and by the way, you don't start mastering all five of these things. As a matter of fact, when I go through some of these five, some of you are literally gonna say, that's not important, <laughs> because that's the way you think about them. So you probably need to concentrate on the first three, and then the only reason why you would need, so for instance, four and five were developed with large visions, okay? And never before. So if you went back to my teachings, let's say 10 years ago, I called it the big three. So why don't we begin with those three? And then to understand that the big five is 
shall we say, for the ballers of you, you know, the people who are like, uh. but most of you with small visions will not value all of the big five. So let's start with three. And I'm going to give you the order of which I think they are important. And number one is what we call human capital. And in learning about a practice, and if you go back through your education to become a doctor, one of the things you will not find is that you were not trained in leading, guiding, inspiring, creating systems for, understanding human capital. That is the actual humans who work inside a business. And the word capital is based around when we look at the value of a business in the business world, one of the things we're looking for is the strength of the human capital. That is a valuable resource inside of each business and good business owners invest in the development of their people because it is human capital. I'm sure you've heard the term relational capital, right? So, you know, we build relational capital. So most doctors have little to no training in the development of human capital. So we actually went and studied. So we have a very large training laboratory. And so, for instance, in a typical month, we're in somewhere between, let's say, 300 and 400 different offices. And over any given year, I, I don't have last year's stats, but we have you know thousands of doctors and team members come into various events. Uh, some of them have converted to virtual during the pandemic, but we'll go back to physical. And we have educational or what we call leadership centers on each side of the country where doctors come and are coached and their teams are coached. And so we have spent years developing formulas around improving the performance of individuals who work in doctor's offices. And when you study, you know, so for instance, if I, if I were to do an assessment of you, I mean, it'd be pretty simple. I would list all the different types of positions that you have in your practice. And then I would go back over your calendar last year and I would ask you to show me what training these people have received. And if you would actually go do that, you would find that your training, now remember, taking someone to a seminar is not training. I mean, that's entertainment. So you gotta, you know, sometimes we, and then again, if you said, well, yeah, but they did continuing education and continuing education is you can't teach any of the things that grow. That was just enhancing their clinical skills. It wasn't teaching them the things that grow. And so again, most doctors are completely deceived by this and they have this impression, you know, if, if I said to you, do you train your people? You say, yes, I do. But if I went and dug and you were actually authentic and honest, what you would find out is that you don't train your people. As a matter of fact, we went through a study on this. So we have a thing we call our university. And I think we've been 10 years at this. And the university is this advanced place where we work with team members of various functions. 
And last year we did one on human resources. And so we asked everybody, we said, listen, we want to know how long it is from the time a person gets hired until the time you put them on the floor. And it was crazy, right? The, the, it almost seemed like the day they got hired, they were put on the floor. Now, if you stop for a second and say, well, Jay, well, of course, what are you, what are you talking about? Well, if you, if you look and you say, well, okay, human capital, what is that? I want you to get it like this. First of all, it's the doctor, it's the office manager, and then it's the, you know, it's the team. And when we talk about human capital, we're talking about lining up a group of people to make sure they're doing and competent in the right thing. And so much of the initial work and continue to this day, the work we're doing. So for instance, we've, we're coming out of a pandemic. So a lot of our work has been around helping the humans to understand how to process what's been ripped away from them and how to restore it back to the way it was. And we know that on the other side of that pandemic, there are gonna be a lot of people in need. They're gonna need more money. They're gonna need more patience. They're gonna need more confidence. And so the first one is human capital. So as a business owner, I will tell you that you will spend the remainder of your days in business and no matter how much time and energy you put into it, you will never actually master human capital. Because as you continue to go to uncharted territory, you learn new things that are required with human capital. As you build a team, you, need, you learn, ooh, I need a leadership team. Ooh, I need a new capacity here. I need this as the business grows. So many doctors seem to think that human capital, you know, first of all, the amount of time you've spent being trained on how to deal with people, it's not in your education. You, you, may, got, you may have got trained to deal with patients, but I have to be honest with you. So we run a university for young associate doctors, and I'm here to tell you this. All my work with them is on people skills with the patients. <laughs> so it's interesting. They don't come out completely confident on procedures, and then they lack people skills. And they misunderstand the value of people skills until they start treating patients. So the first area that we're going to talk about, and I am going to tell you this, that if you ever, ever want to grow your practice, you are going to have to be honest with yourself that what you really do is you employ people, you throw them on the floor with the patients, you don't train them, and you most likely do not manage them, inspire them correctly, to the vision of where you're trying to go. And I'm not trying to beat you up, but let's be honest with yourself, right? It's like the person who says, you know, if I said to somebody, um, well, I mean, if you look at a person who's fit, most likely they're doing stuff that makes them look like that, right? So just like when you see a person who's absolutely not fit, it's, you're, it's pretty obvious they're not doing the things that they need to do. So let's, this one's just a little more complicated and self-deception is a little more active. So number one is a focus on human capital or human behavior to develop it, to have the ability to create an effect. 
So what we've learned is that in stage one of growing a practice, it's actually simply to go in and to begin to inform people who work in the existing practice how to do things a certain way. And when they do them a certain way, you'll see practice transformation. So for instance, I already know, you know, if I came into your practice tomorrow, I know exactly where I would start. I would start with one area. I would change the behavior of those people. I would give them a new vision for their area. It would be very patient centric. And we would create a, something new that was a new experience and we would monitor it and check it, so on and so forth. So human capital is number one. And you know, over the years, I remember clients would say to me, Jay, human capital is really the big one, right? When I used to have three, they would say, that's the big one. And so let me move on. I'm not going to go through all of human capital today. Today is just about touching on it. And then we'll come back and we'll have episodes where we target one of the items, okay? The second kind of pillar to growth is what we call space and equipment, okay? And now we go back to that little office that I drew and those four operatories and the efficiency of the humans in there and the fact that at some point those four operatories are only going to do so much money per month and now the practice is at a ceiling. And most doctors don't realize that investing in more rooms, more treatment rooms, more space is actually one of the keys to growing the practice. And look, I understand why somebody wouldn't want to do it when they don't know how to grow a business. But once you're taught how to really grow a business, you, your confidence in that would go up. And what's interesting is, you know, when you look at the difference between rich doctors and poor doctors, usually the difference is the rich doctors learn to invest in something. And so the truth is owner-occupied real estate is one of the greatest investments there is. And so it turns out for many doctors, when we get to number two, they don't even own their practices. They lease them. And some other person is in Tahiti drinking one of those drinks with a, you know, with a straw, with an umbrella in it, collecting your rent payments, and you're back at the office working. And so we've identified that number two is one of the most limiting factors that exist and confidence is required to conquer it. So most of the doctors that have been with me for any amount of time, they actually own commercial real estate, which I'm not going to go through the entire thing. We'll focus on it in another episode, is a major, major wealth developer for them during the years that their practice is generating revenue. And we learn to... Space and equipment in business is called a capital investment. Most doctors are never trained this, but it turns out, you know, in business, if you came to me and said, Jay, you want to buy my business? I said, let me see it. And I would say, what capital expenditures are required? And, you, and then, then, then normally somebody would say, well, we think we need to do this and this. So everyone in business knows that you got to put money into a business to grow it. But for some reason, doctors create this fictitious story that like they don't have to do it. So most doctors are not very versed in the consequences, the benefits, the economic juggernaut, you know, the capitalization of their business, what a cap expense is. And 
they tend to overbuy equipment and underbuy rooms, which is actually the formulation to grow the practice is having more rooms and more doctors. So space and equipment is number two. So I actually have some tools, which we can do in later episodes that will, so I've invented a lot of things that you can just assess. And what you'd really want to assess is, gosh, is the reason my practice isn't growing. See, a bunch of equipment is not what grows your practice. It's treatment rooms. Okay. Okay. The, so there's a, let me, I'll go through these three, then we'll talk about correlations. Okay. There is a dirty little secret that is poisoning the water in 97% of practices nationwide today. It could be robbing you of new patients and stunting your potential income growth. Go to fivestarchallenge.com today to reveal this secret and how it impacts your practice and your bottom line. So marketing is number three. And again, most doctors, when you say marketing, they want to run. So the great news for you, for instance, is you'll never have to do the kind of marketing I have to do. Your marketing is much, much easier. But if we think about this, so to grow a practice, you look at those three, you look at the humans inside, you look at the physical space, what's there to work with, and then you look at marketing. There's a corollary between all these. So a lot of doctors will say, here's the typical rookie mistake. Marketing company comes to a doctor and says, we wanna handle all your marketing, we're gonna do your new website, we're gonna have SEO, you guys are all excited, you're paying them thousands of dollars a month, and literally all the phone calls come to your office, they don't convert. And then you blame the marketing. Well, I could have told you to begin with that you actually have a human capital problem, not a marketing problem. So formulaically, I've learned where you need to put attention first, where you need to put it second, and you gotta learn that correlate. I'm not gonna try to get you to master that today. I just want you to understand the value of what I'm teaching you. So it's five major things and when taught these major things, and by the way, the content I have behind every one of these, I mean, I got seminars. And so for instance, last year we did something called Culture Fest, right? It was all about human capital. Had Nick Saban come speak at the event, had some folks from Chick-fil-A there, uh, the Atlanta Falcons. I mean, you know, so it, it's interesting. Most doctors don't think culture is important. Culture is really important in human capital. So, so I want you to understand there is a, bank of information under each of these that is ginormous. And I'm not gonna pound them all on you today. I just want you to understand the five and then to set out on a quest to, to know which one to focus on. So let me, let's talk, as I'm recording this, right? We're coming out of a pandemic and human capital, that means the people that work for your organization, are incredibly fragile. Therefore, you have to know how to coach, guide, and anticipate the things that are on their mind. They're scared. They don't know, right? So all these things, all these new safety protocols, all the, so the, you've, if you don't guide the humans, you suffer the consequences. So number one is human capital. Number two is space and equipment. Number three is marketing, okay? So good news, not gonna talk about marketing today. Marketing is super easy. But you don't market until you know you have the human capital right. So in 
later episodes, we'll talk about what do you mean by that? How do you test human capital? So we do something we call the five-star challenge. So if you were to go on my site, take the five-star challenge, go to schedulinginstitute.com, take the five-star challenge. I would have somebody contact your office. We could check and see what the experience of an inquiry is to your office, right? Most of you don't know that. And most people would prefer to think that it's good. So that's actually what dictates how much money you should spend on marketing. Now, I'm gonna to touch on four and five, and then we'll wrap up. So four, now remember, four is one you may not be ready for. Four is called clinical duplication. And what clinical duplication is, is building a team around you to be able to see more people and to generate more revenue. And so where you've clinic, you know, when you have like an assistant or a PA, depending on your practice, those are examples of, in dental hygienists, these are examples of clinical duplication. In other words, when we look at a typical practice, you will see you have administrative people. So for instance, your front desk people are administrative, your office manager is administrative, and then there's these clinical people. And the good news about clinical duplication is it's, it's revenue generating. So in most practices, we wanna have more of the people who we can actually bill for. It's almost so simple. You go, what? But you hadn't thought about it that way. And again, what I've learned, because it was the system I was trained in and it was what I've taught people, is the greatest limiting factor for most doctors is they just don't understand the concept of clinical duplication. They would prefer to live under this rock. I'm so special. And here's actually what they're saying. I'm so special that I'm the only one who can do this. Even though there's 25,000 of me around the country, 150,000, X thousand around the world. So the whole thinking about the fact that, you know, it's like if I were to go into a dentist's office and, and, and this dentist says, well, I'm the only one who can see the patients. And I say, well, are you aware that there's 72 other dentists in your town? And by the way, that big office over there that's my client sees 12 times the number of patients you do. And oh, by the way, the patients are happier than they are in your office. And they can't wrap their head around that. It's easier to look at that successful practice and say, oh, they must be cheating over there when really you've never looked inside. You know what we have? We have better service than you. We have better hours than you. We have more clinical capacity than you. I mean, that's the truth. Now, quit making excuses about it. You know, there is a great thing. It's kind of like, if you can't beat them, you might as well join them. And so for many of you, if there's a big practice in your town, I wouldn't be surprised if they were my client at some point. And the way you look at that practice is not the truth about that practice. You, I could walk you, I could probably, for most of you, literally, in any town of any significance, I've had clients there. And most of my clients are the larger practices and they didn't start out large, I made them large. And I know you don't understand what's going on in that practice. Now, if you have a large practice, you know the people with smaller ones don't understand what's going on in your practice. And the theory behind most doctors is that they can't be duplicated, which goes back to the whole ego issue there. And the truth is, for anyone who's ever been really good at anything, duplicating what you do is actually the next step. You're not as good as you think when you can't duplicate it. So if, 
if I develop a body of work over my life and at my death, that body of work never continues on, I would say I'm not as good as I thought. I know in my case, that's not going to be the case. That will not be the case. My body of work will continue to produce fruit through well past any time I would be alive because it's, this has always been part of it. So, you know, for instance, when I started actually doing a coaching program, because I have a big coaching program, I have this thing that's called platinum. And in platinum, here's basically the line. I'd say, if you want to work less, make more, and have unlimited vacations, I can teach you how to do that. And so people were like, what? So I was like, okay, work less, which means you don't have to work every day. Make more is to net more money. And then to have unlimited vacations is, you know, maybe... So a lot of doctors, they they never go on vacation. They go like twice a year. And the reason they don't go on vacation is because if they go on vacation, they have to pay everybody and the practice doesn't generate any revenue. That's what number four is all about. A business where you pay the expenses five days a week or seven and it only collects money three, in the business world, we call that a ridiculously unsophisticated, terrible, I mean, we look at it and go, are you kidding me? Going back to two, you're telling me you took the corporation's money and you bought a bunch of space and equipment that could be run five days a week and you run it three and you're proud of yourself? See, we, we would say, you know, if you had, if I owned your company, I'd never let you do that. And the only reason you do it is because you don't have clinical duplication. And, and listen, trust me, clinical duplication is not easy, okay? But there are two types of doctors I've discovered in the world, and maybe three. And one, they have clinical duplication, and others keep telling themselves why they can't, all right? And then the third is the ones who understand that it is going to be a bit of a sea change and that a couple of years spent in honing some skills and doing some tests will enter you into the area where you have clinical duplication. So what I notice about my clients who I have taught clinical duplication is they come to my events or to their workshops or whatever it is. Usually their shirt's unbuttoned. They have a tan. I say, what have you been up to? They go, oh, I just came back from fishing. So when you know when you wonder, like, what do the doctors that get to go on vacation look like? You know, these are people who have put time and energy into clinical duplication, which is building a team of people who can deliver quality care at an acceptable level on a large scale. Okay she's a big one, right? And again, for most of you, you're not, I want to make this very clear. You got a small little practice, you're struggling, you're starting out. Listen, it's not time to start on clinical duplication. So we'd go back to human capital. And then the last one, and what I call this is, and I really struggle with this last one in terms of the name of it. And over the years, I've changed it a little bit, but it is around financial discipline. And so it turns out that most humans, and by the way, doctors are human, your team members are humans, do not have financial discipline. And that is proven by the chart showing 
the wealth that is accumulated by human beings or how much money people have in their checking accounts or whatever it might be. And what happens with every doctor is they don't realize this is when they pursue this idea of becoming a doctor, it turns out you have to have a business and business has expenses and revenue. And so most of you have two sets of books. You have the personal books and the business books. And these two things become kind of confused. So almost every doctor that I deal with when they come to me has what I call commingling going on, which is actually an illegal, most of them are in really, most of them are cheating on their, I mean, okay, listen, I'm not saying they think they're cheating on their taxes. I'm saying when you mix up your, when you put your personal expenses through your corporation and you use your company credit card for personal things and you get sloppy about this, um, you're cheating. <laughs> and there's actually reasons why, personally, you have something called a social security number, which is registered with the IRS, and that is a tax entity. And then you should have what is a tax ID number over here in your business. And just quite frankly, most people do not understand, nor have the budget, nor have the education to realize that you must educate and or hire people who have financial discipline. And so what's interesting when we assess the, so for instance, if you've got an office manager who's responsible for all your human capital, basically they're your personal assistant and they're doing your finances, right? I mean, or your spouse is in there doing your, a lot of times we see the spouse in there doing financing and I say, well, do you have any formal training? And they're like, no. I was like, okay. Um, so see, what I, I want you to get is that there's an entire educational process around some basic financial sophistication. So I have created over the years much, well, a lot of content around, and we'll talk about that. And the content actually, you actually have to understand your own lack of personal financial discipline. And then you have to set up structures inside the business because it's interesting that money actually reveals what's going on inside of a business. So when, listen, if I want to know the truth about your business, I'm not going to go to what you say. I'm going to go to the money. So, so if, if today we were to say, well, you know, like I have a theory when it comes to finance and here's what it is. Most doctors under earn and what anybody who got devastated during the pandemic what, what that means in code is you didn't have enough margin. So in other words, you didn't have enough money in the bank to go three months without income or three months without patients or whatever it was, or you didn't have enough credit, whatever it was. So a lot of people debt, debt is developed around the lack of financial discipline. And if a doctor under earns for 10 years in a row. Here's what I want you to understand. You, you don't see it that way, but I know by looking at the financial condition of any person, whether they've been under earning, just like you know whether they've been doing a nice job of earning. And it's very simple. And I'm not suggesting that your earning capacity is unlimited, but I am suggesting that most likely the number that you really need 
to stay ahead of your personal life, to pay your tuitions, to pay your taxes, to pay your bills, to buy your family cars, whatever it is that you want, to live a decent lifestyle, to save money, to create money for retirement, to invest in real estate, to invest in other things, whatever it might be, it's probably a number that's actually larger than the number that you currently are earning. And then some of you on the other side, you're actually earning the money, but you don't know what to do with it, so you blow it. And so it's actually very complicated because the financial discipline is family-oriented and it is business-oriented. And most people never actually ma master it personally, let alone actually being able to master it with the complexities of business. So I will leave you with this. There is a thing, and it is called Parkinson's Law. And it's one of my favorite laws. And Parkinson's Law says this. It says that as your income goes up, your expenses will go up to meet it. And so I'll leave you with that. So any of you who are not versed in Parkinson's Law do not have a defense system for Parkinson's Law, both at home and in the business. There's no way you have financial discipline because Parkinson's Law will destroy you. So I learned very early that I could bring a doctor in, I could substantially increase their gross collections and left to their own devices, they would waste all the money. Now, actually what happened is they didn't understand Parkinson's law. So most clients I take on these days, I say, listen, I want you to read this about Parkinson's law. I want you to sign that you understand about Parkinson's law. And I want you to understand I'm gonna grow the revenue of your practice and you're going to proceed to let it all be spent. <laughs> and I'm gonna say, I told you so. Now, or you could accept the truth of Parkinson's law, defend it, and then we'll be in a different position. And by the way, how did I have to learn that? I mean, I would take clients up a million dollars a year and they would come right up to the front of the stage and they would say, Jay, you know, we're up a million dollars, but my income's not up. And of course they were, they were wrong because they actually didn't do the math, but this is, and then, and I would find out, I was like, well, and, and then, you know, over the years I got better at it and I was like, oh great, let me help you. Let's schedule a call. I schedule a call. You know what I'd find out? They bought this, they bought that, they put a new phone system in, they bought a new, new laser. And I was like, hmm, very suspicious. They just can't see what they were doing. Parkinson's law attacks people who don't pay attention to money. This law is so powerful that it somehow is able to find a person and attack that person and they don't even know it occurred. And so usually it's too late. That's why now we bring it up in advance. So I appreciate you being with us. We will look forward to having you back on and we will be exploring these subjects and talking about how you, not anybody else, but you can grow your practice. Have a great day.